Good morning. Good. To, y'all ready to get into the Bible? All right, let's do this. Take out your Bible and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. Some of you also have the app. You can take notes on that. Uh, make sure to get the fill in the blank that way so you can fire those up. Hi to everybody online. Make sure you get your Bibles going as well, and we can begin. We are in part six of our King series, and I entitled today's message, The Right Way to Run a Nation. And we're going to be talking about an extraordinary king, and we'll get into his name here in a moment. But I want to begin by drawing your attention to the fill in the blank with just some thoughts. If you've been around healthy Christianity for any length of time, if you've been in the Bible, if you know a little bit from church, you know that Jesus doesn't do things the way everybody else does stuff, yeah? All right, so he's got a completely different groove. Now, one of the ways that he does things different is he tends to look at things upside down. And one of the key areas he does that is in leadership. Jesus leads with an upside down model. The greater the title, the greater the servant. That's always how he rolls. Now, as a matter of fact, we know that by his demonstration, yeah? So the king of kings, the master and commander of the army of God, the one that sustains the world with a thought, the one that holds together our reality, this second person of the Trinity comes down, degrades himself to come into humanity what we call the incarnation, right? Which is basically the whole Christmas story. He comes in here and he's treated like garbage. So he goes from absolute glory of innumerable angels worshiping him at all times down to a place where people barely have time for him. Then if that was not enough, at the Last Supper, his guys are all hanging out there He grabs a towel and a water basin and starts washing their feet like a menial servant. It was so weird for them because they're like, whoa, 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 hold up. You're our everything. Like, you're the dude we're trying to be. You're the big dog of our group. What are you doing? Why would you do this? He said, you'll get it in a second. They said, I don't want you to do it. It's very uncomfortable. Why was it so uncomfortable for them? Because in their society, it explained that it is always the big dogs get all the perks and everybody else just serves them. He flips the entire thing upside down and says, that's not how I do it. He washes their feet and says, listen, if anyone had a right to claim other people to serve them, it would be Jesus, right? What a cool thing to stop every conversation with, well, I'm God, so there. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? Everyone that argues with you, well, are you God? No. So I'm God. So anyway, I'm right. If anyone had the right to do that, it would be Jesus. And yet he said, but because of that same reason, I'm going to demonstrate you a new way. I did not come to be served, but to serve. He said, I'm doing this as a tangible example of what's going to happen on the cross because you're not going to be able to see what's going on with me. You're going to see the darkness over the land and you're going to see the earthquakes. You're going to hear me say, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't understand what all is going on inside me. You don't know what it is to pay for the sins of the world. You don't know what it is to be separated from the Father. You don't know what it is for any of this stuff. So I'm going to give you a tangible example right now that I am here, the King of Kings, to rescue and bless you. He set that in play for all of his followers. Guys, this is how we do it. The higher the title, the greater the servant. That's it. That carries on through us into every area. If you are the CEO of a company, what is your job? You serve everyone. That's how it goes. It's not, well, you can clean up my mess. If someone comes up and cleans your garbage can, you show them respect because you are simply doing two different parts in that company. They should deserve your full honor. You understand what I'm talking about? In the same way, I believe, and you all could disagree with me, but I believe firmly that roles are important in human interaction. So for example, I still teach that there is uh, the head of the home. I believe that the, the husband is the head of the home. Now, when I say that, for some of you, you cringe because it's rarely ever taught appropriately. The head of the home means that you have the highest title. In Jesus' economy, what does that mean? You are the automatic servant of your family. That's what it means. There's no lording over anybody. There is, you better make sure that your family is equipped. You better make sure that they are thriving. You better make sure you are serving them every moment so that they're at max capacity. There's your job. That's how Jesus works. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Great leaders bring great blessing to their people. Great leaders bring great blessing to their people. Everyone should be better off if they're around Christians. You understand what I'm talking about? Like they should feel more encouraged. They should feel more love. They should feel more, right? Everyone should be better off. Now, sometimes that love has to be tough love, right? The whole idea of, well, we're always just nice. That is not biblical. It's that we're always doing what God's heart is. And sometimes that means that we have to bring in difficult truth. But that still makes them better off than they were before, right? Because if they had lies before and we're able, because we know the word of God, to share with them truth, even though it makes them uncomfortable, they still are better off knowing the truth. No matter how you look at it, people should be better off that you're there. Amen? Amen. Well, let's dive into uh, our story today. We're going to really be examining the life of one particular king, as you know. In this series, the king series, we can't cover all 40 kings. We're just covering a sampling of the good guys, a sampling of the bad guys, and a sampling of the complicated guys. Last week, we talked about a really good king. His name was King Asa. We're going to talk about his son today. And we will get into that. His name is Jehoshaphat. This is unfortunate. Now, I appreciate that it's P-H-A-T, that it's not F-A-T in his name. Now, his name means uh, God decides for him. Cool. Parents? Unacceptable. Do not name your child this. You're asking him to get beat up in middle school. 
So, since I am not mature enough to say Jehoshaphat every time, I'm going to refer to him as Jay. That will be his name for the rest of our time together. Now, had a good dad. He's a good son. The Bible describes him like this. He walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. He's 35 years old. When he comes to the throne, he's going to reign for 25 years. That's a long time. And we begin his story with a bit of a summary. Would you turn with me to 2 Chronicles 17.3? 2 Chronicles 17.3. If you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It is page 370-370 to get there quick. If you have a Bible at home, then you're going to want to drop it open in the middle. And then zoom back to the left. We're in the Old Testament here. 2 Chronicles 17, verse 3. It begins with a very powerful passage that has something very applicable for us today. Here we go. The Lord, or as you see in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D, that is the personal name of God, that is Yahweh. Yahweh was with Jay. Because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals or the Baals. That's a pagan god. But sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of the rest of Israel. Therefore, Yahweh established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jay, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Right off the bat, we have four things that describe why this man is blessed. Now, if you remember, in the Old Testament with Israel, they had a contract with God. You do the right stuff, you get good stuff. You do the wrong stuff, you get bad stuff. We are not under that contract today because of Jesus Christ. We are under grace and under a different type of mercy, right? And that's why we praise, woo, we love that, yeah? However, they were under that contract. Why was this man so blessed? He had all kinds of the hand of God upon him. Why? I'm going to give you four things. If you take notes, I want you to write down these four things because I believe that they can apply to our lives whether or not we're in that contract or not. It still shows what honors the heart of God. You ready? Write these down, and I believe that these will lead us to a more blessed life. Not in a like hashtag way, but just like a legit way. Okay, moving on. By the way, that is a pet peeve for mine. Uh, anyway, moving on. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Don't need to go on a tangent. All right. Uh, number one, he was blessed. Number one, he had a soft heart toward God. He had a soft heart toward God. It says that he was like David. Y'all remember what David was like? He was a mess. David was super emotional. He was all over the place. He was an artist. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was a murderer. I mean, he was just like all over the place. But his heart was super soft toward God. And hearts really matter to God. So number one, he had a soft heart toward God. Number two, he lived countercultural. He lived countercultural. Why? It says he resisted the gods of Israel. Meaning up north, they were going a bad way. He didn't buy into that. 
Everybody else was wanting to worship pagan gods. He didn't buy into that. He did his own thing with God. So let's ask real quick, are you doing your own thing? If your life is no different than your neighbor's, you've probably bought into the gods of this world. The gods of this world are what? Self, materialism, money. If your whole life is orchestrated just like everyone else's, there is a probability you've bought into the gods of this land. When we say gods, everyone's like, ooh, is it all dramatic? No, it's stuff like you're number one. If you ever heard that phrase and you think you're number one, you bought into the gods of this world because that is not what our God says, right? So you got to live countercultural and there should be distinctions between your life and the lives of those that do not know Jesus. Yeah? Okay. Seems pretty basic. Let's go to number three. He lived a disciplined, godly life, a disciplined, godly life, uh, or a disciplined, holy life. You can even write that. You see, in my life, there are seasons when I'm super disciplined, where I'm like on target. I'm focusing in the right areas. I'm being very intentional in my living. There are seasons in my life where I am a flat out joke. I mean, it's just a mess where I'm looking around like, man, everything's falling apart. I mean, every discipline, man, my, my exercise is garbage. My eating's garbage. My, you know, and it just goes on and on and on. And I feel like I'm just kind of flopping through life. This guy lived intentional, and I always respect that in people when they can live super intentional. You know what I mean? That brought him blessing. Last one, number four, he lived courageously for God. He lived courageously for God. That actually says that. I'm only pulling these four from that verse, that passage that we just read. He lived courageously for God. What does that mean? Let me remind you what courageous means. Courage is that you feel the fear and you do it anyway. If there's no fear, there's no courage. Make sense? It's something else, but it's not courage. Now, I don't know another way to live than courageous. Why? Because you know my story. I've had panic disorder since I was six. I have a chemical imbalance. I only know a life of fear. Do you understand? I've never had a life absent of fear. That, that's not how my brain processes. I only have fear. So everything that I do when I have to push through it is courage. Are you living courageously for God? What does that mean? It means can God get you to do stuff that freaks you out? That's the bottom line. Now, I mean, he can make you uncomfortable and make you think about it, but are you doing it? Right? hey, I really want you to pray for that person over there. Right? I don't think so. That would be awkward. Right? He wants you out of your comfort zone. Can he get you out of your comfort zone? If so, that is living courageously because you're freaked out, but you still press in and do it anyway. Hmm. Beautiful. All right. So we're going to dive into what type of man and how he led Now, let's go ahead and jump down to verse 7. In the third year of his reign, he sent officials, and he'll name five of them, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them, he sent nine Levites, and he names them. And with these Levites, he names two priests. Look at verse 9. And they taught 
in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. That was their Bible. They went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around them, that they made no war against King Jay. Other nations even brought this guy tribute just to not tick him off. Okay, what did you just hear? This is his leading policy for his nation. What is it? Because, right, whenever somebody comes into power, you want to know what their policy is. So you're like, uh, so uh, what's your foreign policy? What's your economic policy, right? Everybody wants to know your policy. He goes, let me tell you my policy. This nation needs more God. Oh, all right, that's cool. Well, how exactly are we going to do that? Well, we're going to change our educational system. For adults and for children, you need to know the Word of God. I am not just merely going to ship you a Bible and assume you get it because that doesn't fly. A lot of people have tried to read the Bible, right? You start reading the Bible and you start out at the beginning. You're like, hmm, this is fascinating. You get to Leviticus. I'm done being a Christian. Thank you very much. I... Right? You see, just seeing the words doesn't bring it into understanding. If you can't understand it, how are you supposed to live it out? We need to understand the word. So he didn't ship Bibles. He shipped Bible teachers. And Bible teachers went throughout the entire nation. He said, if you want to know my policy, we need more Bible in our diet. That's what he was saying. Because that will change the hearts of people, it will alter their worldview, it will put them on the same page, and we can follow the Lord together. What a beautiful plan. Can you imagine somebody walking into America, any president, and said, I got a new plan. Here's the plan. Everybody needs to know a lot more about the heart of God. Otherwise, we're not doing anything. That's incredible. This guy leads in a completely different way. Now, once again, let me be very clear on one more point. Please do not make the Bible an idol, okay? Now, we're super into the Bible at Bridgeway, but we try to keep it in its proper perspective. You should not become an expert in the written word as much as you're an expert in the one who wrote the word. You understand what I'm talking about? Because what we can do is we can become super good at trivia and we're not living any different. That's unacceptable. That this is talking about someone... This was written by someone. You don't stop at the written word. You go right through it into the heart of God. This is not exhaustive. God has more stuff to say. This is not the only thing he ever wants to say. So you do not hold God accountable to, well, you said, hold on. He's the one that wrote it. He was not going to contradict it, but at the same time, he's not done talking. He still has a lot for his family. So we need to make sure that we fall in love with the one that the word is about even more than we fall in love with the word. Amen? Amen. All right, here we go. Let's move on. I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit on the story and then we'll read what actually happens. So in the north, there's this super bad guy, right? Now remember, Israel split north, south. They're operating as independent nations. They don't like each other separate kings. Well, one day, the super bad guy in the north, who we will study next week, you guys have probably heard him. His name is Ahab. Ahab married this sweet little lady named Jezebel. I don't know if you remember hearing about her. Just a sweet, good lady. That power couple of evil 
we're going to study next week. So this dude's in the north, and he's messing everything up. Well, he comes in contact with King Jay, and he's like, Jay, dude, we got to get together, man. I mean, this whole business about us being apart, I really think that we need to have some connection. So here's the deal. I got somebody I want you to marry. Okay, now this is a totally different conversation that you would normally have, I hope, right? Where he's like, we got to get connected, doing a marriage alliance and everything. Got a girl. She's totally hot. You'll appreciate it. I'm just saying. So anyway, you can connect in with her. Then our families will all be like brothers, right? Let's unite the nation. Well, Jay is down for it. He's like, all right, that's no problem. I'll always use another wife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. So he marries into this, and now they're connected. Well, a little while later, he's like, dude, i got to celebrate a party for you. So he throws this huge party, Ahab, the bad guy, has, throws this huge party, and they're at the party, and then he leans over, and he's like, Jay, dude, I'm thinking of going to war. Oh, what's that? Yeah, so we're going to go up against this place called Ramoth Gilead. I know, I know, I hate him too. And I'd like you to be there with me. You know, we're brothers and all. Okay, so this whole thing is a big setup, Yeah. So he's like, so we're brothers and all, you, you're, you know, we're united, so you're going to be with me, right? Well, Jay is like a man of integrity, and he's like, he's like, dude, okay, I'm down for war, that's fine, but there's something I need you to do first. Take a look with me in chapter 18, verse 4. This is awesome. And Jay said to the king of Israel, Ahab, inquire first from the word of the Lord. What's his whole point? War? I can do that as long as it's what God wants. That's a powerful response. I'm not doing anything until God signs off on it. I don't care who you are. I don't care what our treaty is. Have we checked in with God yet? All right, let's keep reading. Then the king of Israel, which is Ahab, gathered his prophets together, 400 men, And said to them, should we go up to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? They said, go on up. God will give it into the hand of the king. Okay, let's pause. Ahab is one of the wickedest kings ever and he has 400 prophets. Are we having a problem here? How do you have 400 prophets and you're still not listening to God? That is a huge amount of prophets, right? And you got to kind of wonder about the prophets, right? You've been talking this whole time and you're having no effect on your nation. And there's 400 of you? Well, Jay picks up on this and he's like, dude, not only do your prophets look weird, right? They're giving me the heebie-jeebies. So here's what I need you to do. Verse 6. But Jay said, is there not here another prophet of Yahweh of whom we may inquire? Like, I don't know. Your guys are sketchy looking. And the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jay, well, there is one guy of whom we can inquire the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. He never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And Jay said, no. Okay, this is why I like the Bible, you guys. Come on, that's super funny. Really? What a little wimp. He's just like, yeah, I hate that guy. He's always saying I'm evil. Uh, dude, you're evil. That's why he keeps saying you're evil. I mean, it's (laughs) not that shocking, but (laughs) so why doesn't he want Micaiah around? Because Micaiah is speaking the truth. You see, even if you're totally into God being around his 
power and holy presence is a little unsettling. I'm just going to let you know. I've been in environments, and I really love God. I've been in environments where I'm slightly nervous. I shouldn't say slightly. I'm totally nervous. <laughs> because, like, you know God's presence is there, and you have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea if he's... If, you start feeling like this, that God's going to go, and on the screen, Lance's sins. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you're like, ah, ooh, ah, nod, smile, do everything right, you know. Okay, but if you're a bad guy, being around godly people is agitating. You understand what I'm saying? Why? Because they're always like, hey, I think something's wrong with that. Hey, I think you should probably focus on the Lord. Hey, I think you... you're like, shut up. I didn't even ask you. Just you being, I don't like the way you breathe. <laughs> right? So he doesn't want anything to do with this guy. And this is fantastic. Uh, so the kings are sitting in this room. They're looking all kingy. You know what I'm saying? They got their big robes on and everything look fancy. And all the little prophets, the 400 prophets are still doing their thing. Now, I don't know what a prophet does the entire time in front of them. One guy, this is hilarious. One guy goes and makes iron horns. Now, I don't know how long this meeting is or how long it takes to make an iron horn, but it sounds really long. So he grabs iron horns. He's like, he's like king, right? That we're going we're gonna to root out the enemy like your iron horns and all this. So they're being super dramatic. They're using props. It's, you know, they're doing their little singing and dancing thing or whatever that is. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to go beat them up. And Micaiah is on his way being brought in from somebody else. Now, you just imagine this guy walking down the hallway before he walks in. Here's what happens. Look at verse 12, chapter 18, verse 12. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, behold, the words of the prophets are with one accord and they're all favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Okay, that's called peer pressure. Dude, before we go in that room, do not screw this up. They don't even like you right? Let's be clear on that. Everybody agrees. Don't be the, I'm the dissenter guy. All right. Let's not do that. Look at verse 13. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. This guy's super feisty. Love this guy. He's just like, uh, no, I'm not playing that game. All right. Verse 14. And when he came into the king, King Ahab said, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And he answered, go on, go up, triumph. Yay, they'll be given into your hand. He's like, hmm, verse 15. But the king said to him, how many times do I have to make you swear that you're going to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? <laughs> like, no way. That is never what you say. Verse 16, he's like, all right. I saw Israel scattered on the mountains, a sheep that have no shepherd. The Lord said, they have no master. Let them all return home in peace. You're going to lose, dude. Verse 17, the king of Israel said to King Jay, did I not tell you he was not going to prophesy good concerning me? Only evil. See, told you. How realistic, right? right? I knew he was going to say something bad. What is interesting to me is that he said, what God says, I will say. But then when he shares it out, he actually says something different. Why? Because God had a plan. So they ask him about that. 
so dude, what's the deal? Why did you lie at the beginning? And he's like, funny you should ask that. So I'm talking to the Lord about it, right? And he gives me this whole vision of what happened in heaven. And in heaven, there's a bunch of spirits talking around. They're like, all right, so what are we going to do to get Ahab to go into battle so he'll get killed? This is an unsettling story. And God's like, you know what? I don't know. What's your ideas? And one of them goes, you know, we should just make all of his prophets a bunch of liars. So who's going to send lying spirits from God down into the mouths of the prophets? Okay, anybody feeling like this is an odd story? Super odd. And he goes, so basically he's made all of your prophets liars. Now, there's 400 of them. How popular was this conversation? So one of the guys, guy with a little horn dude, remember that guy? He comes up and smacks him across the face and says, who do you think you are? What, the Holy Spirit went from me and went on you? You're the only legit one? Who do you think you are? And Micaiah goes, oh, you'll figure it out in a couple days when you're running for your life. Okay, that's like a prophet showdown, right? Well, I prophesy about you, and I prophesy about you. and You know what I mean? It's just weird, okay? What's interesting is that Ahab is now super ticked off, and he goes, everybody arrest this dude. Hate this guy. Never liked him in the first place. Put him in jail. Give him nothing but bread and water until I get back from the war. And as they're chaining him up, Micaiah goes, if you come back, I'm not a prophet at all. Oh, snap. <laughs> right? <laughs> what did you just say? Did you say the king's going to get killed? Yep, that's exactly what I said. Wow, right? So how's this going to go? I just want to highlight out the cost of following God. Remember we were talking about being courageous? Because in this story, where does he end up? In jail. Now we can all go, yeah, he was right, and it all gets proved right, and blah, blah, blah. He's still in jail. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have your story go bad so God's story goes good? Think about John the Baptist. Yep. John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. What happens? On on God's behalf, I correct the current ruling leader. He throws me in jail and cuts off my head. My story went down and God's story went up. Do you understand that you and I are not the main character of the story? Therefore, our stories may well go down for his story to go up. We always want to picture a world where his story goes up and our story goes up. But what if that's not his plan? Are you willing to be a person in his story that brings him glory? Ah. Sure enough, they go to war anyway, right? They go to war, and this is how it goes. Ahab pulls them aside, and he's like, all right, dude, we got to talk about the plan. All right? What's our plan? So here's the deal. i got this totally cool plan. I want you, you and I are like, we're going to go out in front of everybody, right? Because we're, we're the king. So, so I want you to wear your robes, right? You'd be all big and bad, like, oh, I'm King Jehoshaphat, right? I want you to be in your, I'm going to totally do the disguise thing, right? I'm going to be like all incognito. I'm going to be like put on armor and all this stuff. Nobody's even going to know that I'm a king. I know it seems kind of weird, but anyway, just roll with me. So we're going to go out into this battle and let's just see how it goes. Okay, this is the stupidest plan ever. This is another setup. Why? Because the other enemy has been told, who do you want to knock out first? 
the king. If you knock out the king, everything else falls apart. So who do you think they all start going after? Jay. And he's like, ah, he's running away. And God has to rescue him out of it. He should have never been in this stupid situation in the first place. God rescues him out of a bad situation. Meanwhile, Ahab's like <laughs> riding his chariot and running around and doing all this stuff. Well, then one random archer's like, pew, shoots this thing in the air. It's all, yeah, bam, right through his breastplate, right in the corner, right inside and kills Ahab. When it is your time to go, it is your time to go. So much for his disguise plan, right? Okay. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about him and get the full details on what happened in his life, but, but this, is, this is pretty crazy. When Jay gets home, a prophet comes up to him, and he's like, you had no business being there. He's like, I know. You know that tick got off, right? Yeah. You know, God thinks you're stupid, right? Yeah. But God loves your heart. You have a good heart, man. Appreciate that. What I think is so powerful about that is heart really matters to God. It really matters to God. You guys, we can make a whole bunch of mistakes. There are some of us, unfortunately, where we have spent all of our energy organizing our PR, our public relations, how we appear. And I'm not talking about just your physical looks. I'm talking about how people think of you. There are some of us in this room that people think that you're a solid believer. And you're not. You talk about prayer, but you don't pray. You talk about worship, but you don't worship. You talk about the word of God, but you don't read it. We're spending so much time managing how we appear that we are not managing our hearts. And that's the one thing that matters. Y'all, I would much rather be a guy with a good heart who everybody still judges and says, I don't even know if that dude's worthy of leadership because I'm not busy managing my PR. I'm busy managing my heart. Y'all follow me? So look at this leadership of this guy. He's got more work to do in his nation. Pick it up in chapter 19, verse 4. King Jay lived at Jerusalem. And he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. You've got to keep doing that if you're a leader. You don't just do it once. You've got to do it over and over and over, bringing people in, bringing people in. Verse 5, he appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, consider what you do, for you judge not for man. But you judge for Yahweh. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. There is no injustice with the Lord our God. There is no partiality. There is no taking bribes. And I'll paraphrase. paraphrase. Priests, Levites, guys, you're doing this for God. I want you to do it with all your heart, and I want you to be courageous. Okay, do you understand how powerful that is for a leader to do? This is, I mean, I, it would be nice to assume that Israel's all saved and everybody's doing good with the God. They're not. This is regular nation. The practical purposes, it's a secular nation. You got this leader going, hey, guys, when you go out there and you judge, you're not doing it for you. You're not doing it for me. You're doing it for God. Please be careful on how you handle these things. 
You're speaking for God. You don't show partiality. You don't ever take bribes. We're not those kind of men. Priests, Levites, religious leaders. You better do this right. You stand up for God. You don't stand against God. Gentlemen, do it with all your heart, because at that time only men were allowed to be in that leadership position. Do it with all your heart. I don't want you mailing it in. I don't want you just thinking this is a job. It's not just a job. This is your calling. Do it right. How cool is that leadership? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the leader of America coming in and saying, Supreme Court, I need you to understand something right now. This is not about what you think. This is about what God thinks. I don't need you leading for you. I need you leading for him. Don't you dare bend the rules one way or another. You do exactly what God asked you to do. Whoa, right? That's a whole different kind of nation. Well, sure enough, as they're going along, a mighty enemy comes up against the south. A three-enemy army, right? So you have the the Ammonites and all these other guys, the Munites, and they all come together, and they're going to wipe out the south. Immediately, what do you think King Jay does? He falls on his face, seeks God, calls a nationwide fast. That's his response. We're going to seek God. We're going to seek God. He prays publicly for his nation. He says stuff like, God, you are our great God. None can stand against you. We are powerless, but our eyes are on you. How cool is that prayer, right? And then this happens. Go to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 13. 2 Chronicles 20, 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a Levite. Go to verse 15. He said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jay. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Verse 18. Then Jay bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and the professional praise team stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. You think that made a difference in the people's hearts? The Spirit of the Lord came upon one dude named Jehaziel. And he said, guys, God is good. God is powerful. What happens if Jehaziel doesn't say anything? I want to share with you for a moment my vision concerning the prophetic. Y'all, some of you are not comfortable with the prophetic. I'm going to encourage you that actually you are. You just don't call it that. Y'all, at Bridgeway, we want to be naturally supernatural. We want the supernatural to flow through this congregation at all times. Part of that is we need more prophetic encouragement. What does that mean? It means that we encourage one another in the Lord. How does that happen? Well, you've probably been doing it for years and you had no idea you were doing it. 
Why? Because you thought you just had an encouraging thought for somebody else. Really? Did you come up with it? No, you didn't. The Holy Spirit did. You see, here's what happens. Here's what we need a lot of, that you are tracking with God. You're just living your life with him. And all of a sudden, this thought pops into your head. Man, that lady over there, she looks like she's stressing out. I just want to go pray for her. I want to encourage her. Hey, hon, how are you doing today? I love that blouse. Can I just pray over you for a second? That's called prophetic encouragement. Why? Because God starts giving you things to pray for her. What are you going to pray for? I don't know. Whatever comes to mind. That's prophetic encouragement. You then end up saying, you don't have to say, the Lord told me. You, you can, it just gets weird sometimes when you start saying that, right? What you end up doing is you just share what's on your heart. Man, I just wanted to tell you, God is good today. Man, I needed to hear that. Do you understand just that? Because think about it this way. Let's say we're all talking about how our nation is going and there's stress and there's strain and what's going to happen in our region and we might split apart again and argue and fight and we're talking about how heavy things are. But in your heart, you're like, but I think God is still on the throne. But I feel like things are okay. I feel like God's going to move. I feel like something more powerful is going to happen. You think you're the only one thinking that. You might be. Because the rest of us are all looking at the waves. Your eyes are on Jesus. He's given you a download. He didn't just give it to you. He gave it to all of us through you. What happens to our heart if you don't share that encouragement? That was for all of us. Please don't keep his message. This is where you come to the leadership afterwards and you say, Pastor, with all due respect, I heard your heart and what you were doing. I just want to tell you, while you were saying that, I really felt like God's encouragement came in. And he was like, but I have a plan. Do you understand that then I can share that? And it changes the course of our church. But not just that way, church member to church member. Most of the ministry should be done amongst each other, right? Some of the greatest miracles we've ever had of healing was when I had you guys stand up and pray for one another. Well, that's how God wants to work. So when you're loving on other people and you're like, man, I just want to encourage you today. I just want to tell you, I was watching you worship. And whenever you worship, you inspire me. That's a prophetic encouragement because God gave you the idea. Amen? Amen. We got to have a lot more of that. All right, let's move on. So sure enough, he has to go out and line him up for battle. He goes out in the morning. And King Jay gives him a pep talk. We love those pep talks. He's like, man, we got to trust God. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I think we're going to be just fine. And then the most powerful verse of the entire story happens in chapter 20, verse 22. Would you read along with me? And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, so they were routed. I want you to let that soak in your spirit. What did he just say? He said, guys, before we go to war real quick, we need to just praise God. Gets the worship team out front. Let's go. Everybody hit it. It's all about God. Let's get our eyes on God. While they worshiped, God set an ambush. Y'all know how the story goes? They walk out onto the battlefield to fight and the whole enemy is dead. Why? God had them fight each other. And they all killed each other, and the whole place was slaughtered. They never even opened anything. They never lifted a finger. They get all the spoils of war. They won the whole entire thing, and they didn't do anything. While they worshiped and praised, God fought their battles. What does that mean? 
Y'all, sometimes we, in our lives, we just need to go to church. And while we're worshiping, while we're sitting here praising God, while we're still soaking in the word of God, he's out there fighting our battles. Hmm. Huge win. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? There are some of us today that are fighting some pretty big battles. And so we're going to do something special today. Um, as our prayer team come on up here, and they're going to be interceding from the front. Once again, we always pray that this altar is anointed. Whatever needs you have at the end of our service, by all means, come on up here and get some prayer. But I want to share this with you. If you are currently going through a battle that either got thrown on you, you walked into, whatever it is, if you're fighting something that's bigger than you, I want you to stand up. We're going to pray for you. Stand up. Just where you're at, just stand up. Something that you go, this is over my head, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, mental, social. Yeah, You're fighting something that's over your head. God, this is overwhelming to me. I don't have a solution. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. If somebody is standing near you, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to go lay your hand on them gently, please. Lay your hand on them gently, please. Gather all around them. I'm going to pray from up here and we're going to pray breakthrough in their lives. We're going to pray that God would fight their battles right here, right now. Just gather around anyone that is standing near you. Fill in around. Those of you that are still watching online, I need you to pray intercession into here. If you are struggling, I want you to stand up right where you're at. God knows that. And we will pray for you as well. Are we ready to do this? Let's pray. Everyone, you can pray with all your heart as you lay your hands on them. Anyone that's sitting, you pray too. Here we go. Heavenly Father, in this moment where our faith is high, we pray, God, would you fight their battles? That, Lord, that they would be able to see you move in a mighty way. That, God, that they've never even seen advancement like this before because you said, hang on, my child. I got this one. Lord, there are some of us that need to hear your voice clearer because the way that we're even looking at our situation is not right. Lord, would you correct our eyesight? But once we are seeing it, Father, would you move on our behalf? Lord, if it is physical in the name of Jesus, would you break through and bring dramatic healing onto your people. Father, if it is social, if it is relational, would you begin to work in all the quiet places, knitting together hearts and restoring. Father, if it is financial, and Lord, it is truly something that we need help from our God. God, would you open up the resources of heaven and allow it to flow in that we might be right again. Lord, whatever it is, would you show the rest of the world as we share your testimony and your glory, would you show them all how mighty of a God you are? Lord, as we are up against an insurmountable enemy, would you show us that you are even greater? So, Father, right now, our brothers and sisters would not have stood if it was not important to them, if it was not hurting them. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we lend all our hearts together and ask of you in heaven, 
Would you heal them and bring about change in their situation? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. The altar is open.